You're listening to The Unifying Call, where we share the voices of our hospital, clinicians and leaders. These are stories to inspire kindness and courage in the face of COVID, presented by Western Health. I'm Cathy Somerville. Joyce Delder grew up and trained as a nurse in the Philippines. She then moved to Singapore, where she worked as a nurse during the SARS outbreak in 2003. Sometime later, she moved to Australia, and she has been at Western Health now for some seven years. She's the nurse unit manager of our first COVID-19 ward at Sunshine Hospital in Melbourne. Joyce is a very popular nurse at Western Health, and I'm sure you'll understand why. I was really in the front line. Caring for patients with um, SARS. Can you tell us a little about how that was for you? It's a bit scary. I was really a young nurse learning. (laughs) Then all of us were frightened at first, but the hospital is really very good in giving us education. And my colleague, and a few of our staff, including me actually, we sort of like have an acquired, developed an upper respiratory illness. We didn't have a full-on SARS symptoms. It's just, I don't know, it could be a stress. Or it could be burnt out that we have because all day we've been wearing our PPE plus some masks. And did any of your colleagues in the hospital contract the SARS virus? Yes. And what, yes. what happened with them? They were admitted in the hospital. As far as I can remember, two of them were admitted. One of them was transferred to ICU. They were fully recovered, but the trauma that we have been experiencing that day, knowing the fact that um, one of our colleagues is in ICU and it could be us, and that's really frightening. I imagine now that some of your colleagues here, some of the people in your own team, might have similar fears. Yes, and I always go back to that day, that what have I done? Just like I've seen it all, I've finished it, I've done that, and we've actually conquered it. So I told what I can actually partake to my staff is that this is the time where we have to work as a team. We have to look after each other. And at the same time, we are trying to do this. We have to be vigilant. We have to listen to the or be guided by the infection prevention and the respiratory physicians as well as the infectious diseases physicians. And I think I'm fully satisfied with the amount of the support of the experts that we have here at Western Health that I was really, I'm happy about it to enable to um, give staff moral support. So the theory or the competence is there, but all I need to reinforce them is the moral support, actually, which is really very important that they're worried they have the family to go back home to and what do they need to do. And oftentimes I can, I can hear them, so Joyce, what do we need to do? What do we need to do? The worldwide shortage of PPE is making Joyce's job particularly difficult at the moment. She understands why strict usage measures have now been put in place to conserve the available PPE. However, she is working to train her staff on how best to use their PPE to help keep them safe. 
yeah, this is the time now where you need to be actually uh, working smartly. Just like if nursing staff is going in there eight times in their own shift, like, you know, how can we actually do it in a way that the moment we go in there, we stayed for half an hour and do a lot of things that we need to be doing uh, for that amount of time and then so that your use of PPE is worth rather than okay you just go in there with one single job like five ten minutes and then come back and change again and then come back so it's just really trying to work smartly in a way to use fully of your PPE. And is it, is it just that the staff obviously there's a level of I suppose coming to terms with the fact that there is a shortage worldwide of PPE. But on the other hand, they're wanting to, to look after a patient safely. Mm. And that's actually, you have to have that balance when you speak to them because it's a double-edged sword mm. when you say that because staff will say, we're here, we want to look after patients safely, but then again... I need to be protected. I need to be safe. Because our duty of care is to ourselves first before others. And that's actually the dilemma of the most of the nursing staff or the healthcare workers facing around the world. They want to be there, but they can't actually because their life is at risk. So, Joyce, I guess the importance of staff families cannot be overestimated at this time. Mm-hmm. What are some of the family considerations for your staff and how are you dealing with those? Majority of my staff are young children. I've got this other half aging between 50 to late 50s or 60s. And that's a concern because some of them already developed their acute asthma and some of them having medical conditions such as like chronic illness. Chronic illness. That's a worry that if they contracted COVID and it's really hard for them to recover, at the same time, they're looking after their elderly parents and stuff. So it's really hard. So And that's the reason why I said that feel free to debrief with me if you think there's a concern. And because I want staff who can actually come to work without think, you know having that anxiety that they might have it at the same time. It's like one foot yes and one foot no. So I don't want to have that. So I said we need to actually think about whether how can I help you in a way that you still can continue to nurse because we really need nurse. Actually, you can still work and then say that if it's okay for you to be redeployed somewhere and then we can get staff as your replacement. And then two of them may say yes. And then some of them said, no, I felt protected while I'm here, Joyce, because the reason why we got this PP because we know who are we dealing with. So, And then majority of them said, yes, it's true. And then I said, yeah, to be honest with you, I feel safe here than in the community because I don't know, actually, we face with people and, you know, we touch things and we don't know what's going on around the corner. And then at the same time, I said, you have to think about that. We are trying to do this. This is our specialty. I said, others may have a lot of worries, but this is our specialty. We are trying to do this. We got this. 
Tell us about your specialty. Your yeah. so obviously, this is a respiratory yes, ward. Yes, we, we, our specialty is respiratory medicine and infectious diseases. So every day we have been dealing with infectious diseases such as TB, chickenpox, measles, you know, HIV, everything. Yes, the transmission is really like times four or times three compared to flu, but if you have the right PPE, hand hygiene, you get no fear. And then they said, yeah, it's true. They're, you a, know? Bra- they're a brave bunch though. By the yes, they said that how many staff actually contracted TB because we are looking after TB. I said, none of you got TB. And it's far more contagious. And it's far more contagious. You need to um, have. Um, as far as I remember, actually, it's just like, you know, the confirmed TB but that we have actually identified and put them in a proper room. We didn't contract any. And measles? You've had measles patients? Yes, we have measles. We have chicken pox. Measles is highly contagious, isn't it? Yes. So what brings people to the specialty of respiratory nursing or indeed infectious diseases nursing? Well, I guess first they were intrigued about it. You know, just like Yang grads, oh, I want to know more about respiratory, I want to know more infectious diseases because I think it's a broad spectrum, it's a broad specialty. So, and then also with respiratory, we're looking after a patient with chronic disease such as a COPD, asthma, emphysema bronchiectasis. So these are all the respiratory. And then we are dealing also with patient with OSA. So we have that BiPAP, CPAP here as well. Obstructive yeah. sleep apnea. Yes, uh, yeah, obstructive sleep apnea. And mm. in the infectious diseases field, I know that some of the specialists who are in that field, such as our Dr. Marianne Kainer, mm-hmm. they really like the detective side of it. Do you find yep. that quite interesting too? Yes, I know. This is really very, like, you know, talking to her and then it's really, really amazing. Like, you know, it's inspired by, like, they have, I don't know, like, if they have all, they detective, yes, detective, and then really, like, experimenting in a way they actually tackle the... Have you become a pretty good detective at uh, diagnosing things yourself? <laughs> Well, I'm not trained to do that. I'm trained to care, not to cure. But I suspect you're still probably pretty good at it. Though. Yeah, no, but by experience, we kind of like know it, the the presentation, the symptoms, and at the same time, based on the lab results, you base also on the not only like you know the imaging and the micro lab, you pretty much you know conclude that okay, yeah, it's true. So I'm sure that you play quite an important role in uh, providing information to the doctors. Yes. To help mm-hmm. them with their diagnosis. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's respiratory as a profession, what is it that you also like in working with respiratory conditions in patients? First thing first. When I first started at Royal Melbourne with respiratory, with respiratory care unit, I was actually kind of like intrigued that, you know, patient unable to talk, can't even finish uh, full sentences. It's just only phrase and even words. And the moment we send the patient, they can even like, you know, speak in full sentences. Some of them actually like can swear at you and then stuff. And so then, this is a good sign. Yeah, and a good sign. And then that's why I told my nursing staff, oh my God, 
Be patient, able to speak to you in full sentences, able to swear to you and then scold you and nursing stuff. Good to go. <laughs> Great <laughs> so discharge yeah, criteria. Yes, you know what I mean? Can so, they swear you? Mm, yes. Yeah, so, and then just reassuring patients and stuff. I don't know. It's just that it really... Quite fascinating. Yeah, quite fascinating actually. And, yeah. and you're quite renowned at this organization, Western Health, for being a very kind nurse unit manager. Oh. <laughs> do you think that kindness is particularly important in the time of crisis that yes. we're in currently? And why do you find that? I, I don't think you can go wrong with any times of like, you need to have that compassion. You say C is caring, but you need to have that compassion, you know. So we need to be kind in order for us to translate to care for our patient. They'll be going through a lot of Yes, staff actually come to work. We are asking everyone to stay at home, but for us, we are leaving home to look after our patients because we care so much for our community. And the least of the staff actually wanting is to be devalued. And for me, actually, the why the staff keep on coming because of the kindness that you are actually showing to them the kindness actually that you are how you actually demonstrate and then for them to translate that to the care the patient and that's really important some patients or a few of the patients actually will not tell me that ah Joyce I have a nurse who able to give me pathophysiology able to give me and blur me about what what is it about my disease and stuff like that? But the moment they look, the how they make them feel, you know, and that's really important to me. Because like most of our patients who actually praise, send thank you card to nursing staff is because they make them feel special, make them feel actually um, cared and looked after. You need to go beyond that actually. And in the so. situation of COVID-19, mm-hmm. where we see that the only communication a patient might have with is the, the only person they'll have communication with is their nurse yep. or possibly the doctor. Mm-hmm. So what does that bring as an added responsibility for your uh, staff? Well, at first it's really hard because at this stage where you cannot come and visit your relative that's really important that you need to imagine you have this co- you you are diagnosed with covid are you positive or contracted covid you are alone in the hospital you cannot be visited by your loved members because or else your loved members can be contracting as well and depending on the immune system and it also might not be good for your staff as yes, well yes that's right so potentially, they could deteriorate on their own. They could die on their own. And that's really hard for staff. So they try to give them comfort as much as possible. They need to be there for the patient, offer a smile, even though they cannot see from their, their masks. But the tone of their voice, their presence. And yes, we can have a skin-to-skin contact. But the mere fact that they are there and then can say good morning. And then that's why this is the thing actually that I said before to limit visitors. Ensure that all the bedside phone is within reach 
so that we will transfer all the coals at the bedside. I requested half of my phone actually. I, I asked straight away, can you check all the phones, make, make sure that we've got dial tones, make sure that it's all working fine. Because they said this is not working if we say that we limit visitors and they cannot contact the relatives. And how are the families of the patients responding to these new restrictions? They knew it now. They get it now. Because they thought it's just, okay, this is just a hospital policy and then they are very resistive about it. So we've got a lot of pushback and it's hard to turn them down, especially if they are already on your doorstep. And what about when you first received a COVID-19 patient, a person who was confirmed to have the illness? How was that? We treat everyone here the same, regardless. And said, just like patient with HIV, patients with TB, we don't announce it. Oh, this is TB. This is not like, you know, this is a COVID ward. Everybody is suspected COVID. Whether it's confirmed or negative, we don't need to reveal it to you. And we have to treat them with respect and with dignity. So because you are a designated, dedicated COVID ward, Mm -hmm. have you so far had to experience a patient passing away from the disease? Um, Deteriorated, yes. And then we sent to ICU. How did that make you feel? It's hard. But nursing staff is really good. This is what I actually admire them. I said they're really on to it. But the patients deteriorated really very fast. And we have to send them straight. And the response of um, ICU, our team is really very good because they know what to do straight away. And we have to deal it without delay. And straight away, patients were intubated straight to ICU. So you must feel really proud of your colleagues. I am. I am really mm-hmm. proud to be the the manager. Yes, yeah. um, just like I'm the proud mama <laughs> of this ward, <laughs> and um, start doctors and other colleagues are saying that Joyce, you got this, you know, and that makes me work harder, and you know, so that we just don't be complacent of what we're doing because we haven't reached the peak yet. And then I keep on telling them we still have a flu, se- a flu season. We still have winter. And winter, you know, it's like it's our specialty again, you know. And all of a sudden you're popular. I know. <laughs> Sometimes you won't, won't want to be so popular. Yeah, no. So this is like, you said, but with COVID now, this makes us actually be vigilant in the next time round and we are more prepared for this. While preparing to be the first COVID-19 ward at Sunshine Hospital is a major challenge, this is not the most difficult or traumatic time that the team at 3F have faced together. Several years ago, one of their nurses lost her young children in a car accident, which also left her fighting for her life. That was really hardest time, that time when, when one of our colleagues actually had an accident and lost all her children and that time when she was actually near death and that was hard for me as well how is she now she's good she's good and uh, the good news is she's pregnant (gasps) that was the best news i ever received the first uh, big news i ever received in 2020 yeah january she told me that joyce 
I have a good news for you. And I said, which one? Tell me. I said, I'm 12 weeks pregnant. Wow. Just after New Year. Fantastic. So I just said, oh my God, this is my Oh, my head is stunning. It's, it's, it's a bit like this is a terrible thing with the pandemic, yeah. but fantastic to hear that yes. great news as yep. well. Yeah, she has recovered. Not 100%, I should say, because, you know, she's still having rehab and stuff. But the mere fact that she's pregnant, that's really, I'm really happy for I'm her. I'm sure your whole ward would be celebrating. Yes. <laughs> it's all good. Mm-hmm. Why is it that nurses such as yourself and your teams, what brings them back each day when it is so hard? We're seeing this around the world at the moment, and I guess those of us who are not nurses mm-hmm. understand this is very tough, and yet we see people keeping on coming back. I guess it's a commitment and it's a dedication. If you're going to ask me like, 20 years ago, if there's a pandemic, I said, mm, You don't think you yeah, would have been No, <laughs> I don't think so. But no, I think for me, it's really the fulfillment and the satisfaction that I'm able to do. Uh, it's a duty of care, really. And I think I made an oath. What is the nursing oath? <laughs> <laughs> what kind of messages are in the nursing oath? That we need to be selfless. You're very selfless. I think you really are selfless, Joyce. We need to be selfless. And yeah, I don't know. It's just really the commitment that you you owe to your patients. And that's the reason why I say patience, because they need your extra patience. (laughs) (laughs) Patience for the patient. This is nursing, you see. We are here to nurture. To nurture patients. Yeah, to nurture patients, yeah. And do you have family yourself? And um, nope. <laughs> your team here are probably your main family. Yes, they are. And then yeah, they asked me how many kids do you have. Now I said I've got fifty here. Fifty. <laughs> fifty here. Fifty staff. Here your fifty staff members. <laughs> so you would have a lot of grandchildren then. Uh, yeah. <laughs> what do you, What do you do to give yourself a bit of a break from things? I'll go out with friends. Yeah, bit of a party. Yeah. Do you like to dance and sing? Yes, dance a lot. Dance, yeah. dance, and dinner out with friends and stuff. Oh, yeah. you'll be finding that a little bit hard at the moment. Yeah, at this stage, I'm a bit quiet now. Social media because they talk a lot of coronavirus there, so I I step back. But they keep on reaching out. It. Uh, how are you? Just always take care, stay safe, and said, yeah, we're all good. I told my nursing staff, we are the soldiers in this war. He said, and we are on the battlefield at this stage. That's why we need to look out for each other. Tell you, I'm really, really proud to be a Western Health. 200 times, I should say. <laughs> Not only 100, but times two, times even five. Um, the amount of support that they have given to staff, plus the planning in preparation and how they make their staff feel safe to look after COVID patients, that's really important for me. What is your one goal? It's to fight coronavirus. <laughs> we can get through this, you know. As I said, we are a soldier of this war zone and we have to keep on fighting until this crisis will be defeated. Thank you very much, Joyce, for everything you Thank do. Thank you. 
This has been The Unifying Call, presented by Western Health. Please share this episode with five colleagues so these stories can reach and inspire more people. For more information, follow the links in the podcast description.